0: what are we studying this month? What is this the month of? Steadfast. steadfast. Yes. And nobody really gets excited about this word, do we? It's like, it's not joy. It's not love. It's not, you know all the good, good steadfast. You know, it's just the word itself means it's going to be work. It's going to be we're gonna have to put effort into it i'm like lord why didn't you make this a fruit of the spirit something that will grow if i just plant the seed or or make it one of the gifts of the spirit but no this is something that we need to strengthen in ourselves so we're going to talk a little bit about how jesus did that he is our example and i always feel a little funny when i use jesus as the example because we always have that thought in our mind well but yeah but he was god you know we kind of file i kind of file things away in Yeah, but he was God, so sure he could do that. But he was also fully man, so we really aren't allowed to do that. So we're going to use him as the example today because of all of us, his story is what's impacted us the most. And what he had to go through is nothing like what any of us will be going through. So we are going to start with... Why we even need to think about being steadfast? Why is it something that we have to consider? Why are we spending a whole month talking about being steadfast? I was thinking about this. I remember one of the things that Paul said to his disciple Timothy, he said, look, make sure, hold on to your faith. Be steadfast in your faith, in your confession, in your belief, because the people that don't, the people that do not persevere, the people that are not steadfast, in their faith. Many of them it says have shipwrecked their faith. Yeah. And and I'm thinking about shipwrecks, it's like you know, you can either run aground or you can run over a rock in the water, whatever, but being steadfast in our faith is important to persevering to the end. Because we want to live our entire life faithful to God. We don't want to just give up right before the end. So steadfastness, unwavering dedication the right thing is what, we, what's what we're going to look at this morning. And uh, just very quickly, what is the difference between being steadfast and being stubborn? Because <clears throat> they're very, very close. And I want to say hi to all of you online this morning and remind you that you are not spectators. If you're online, you are participators with us. So feel free to Clap, shout amen in your homes because you are participating with us this morning. You are part of our family. So the main difference between someone that is stubborn, an attitude of stubbornness and steadfastness is someone that is stubborn. And I um, realize that when you look at qualifications for a deacon or qualifications for an elder, one of those qualifications is he must not be a stubborn person. And that seems like, we well, you know, of all the things you could say, why would that be so important? But then I was, I was thinking about the difference in being steadfast and a stubborn attitude. That is someone that cannot be reasoned with. You can give them true and honest and logical reasons why the course that they're on, the path that they're on, the attitude that they have is not the right one. That They need to adjust that. They need to change their course. They need to, and the stubborn person will refuse to change course in spite of all good counsel, in spite of what they uh, uh, hear and are told. So there's a difference in being steadfast. And what we want to do this morning, what we want to look at this morning is an unwavering allegiance to God based on what the scripture says. That's what we want. And Jesus is our perfect example. Now, I'll I'll start with how embarrassing it is if we don't work on being steadfast. If you fail under pressure, your strength is what? It's small. If you fail under pressure, another translation says, if you faint in the day of adversity. So, When chaos comes, when trouble comes, when something unexpected crashes through your door and you fall apart, you don't run to the Father. You don't have a plan. You have not strengthened yourself to keep moving forward, to keep trusting God, to keep believing for the best. It says here, it doesn't say you're a loser, you're whatever, it just simply says your strength is small, and man, I can see that just in the natural. <laughs> okay, full disclosure, I in my mind I think I'm like this really athletic person, or I or I'm a runner. I even have all these running shorts. I've not run a mile in my entire life at one time, but I think I fancy myself I'm a runner because I can wear. It's ridiculous, and so lately, so no, I so I've resorted to walking. yeah yeah, anybody can walk right put on a pair of shoes and go but it's like so I had my husband and I was going to have a little rabbit up here and do this every time I gave an example a little money trail but I won't do that so so lately I've told Mark honey can you Jesus take the wheel can you follow behind me in the golf cart in case I get halfway around and I have to stop for some reason, or I can't make it. all. So he, uh, there's not even a gear for how slow he's going because he's got to be behind me. If he got in front of me, he's like, I can smell the fumes. You have to stay behind me. Oh, it's ridiculous. And all I can think of in this scripture is my strength is too small. No matter what I think in my head, no matter how I think I, whatever, ladies, we could have a real conversation about this if the men weren't here, but we will continue on. My strength is, is, is small. I want to do it, but when I'm faced with, okay, you're you know half a block from home, pick me up in the golf cart, honey, come get me. My strength. And the truth is, the reality is, if I faint in adversity, I'm just I'm just weak. I need to strengthen myself. So there's hope there. It gives us direction. So let's continue. Um, And one of the reasons we're studying being steadfast is because when we see what Jesus went through and we know that as he was in this world so we shall be we understand that opposition will come to our life and we understand that when we make a stand for god when we say that we are following christ we are a disciple we know that opposition will come we know that hatred will come we know that offense will come because all of these things came to our lord and savior so we follow his example in how we deal with this. So we're going to continue on. Pastor Peter, uh, yes, started last week on the book of Luke. So I'm going to go to the ninth chapter, and this is a huge, long chapter. So I'm going to skip down to the 49th verse. But that chapter has so much packed into it. It's when the disciples fed the 5,000 because they were strong-armed by Jesus and said, you feed them. And, that's when the father came and said, my boy has a demon and he's hurting himself. Can you please help us? And of course, the disciples couldn't do it. So Jesus stepped in. I mean, the the, the first part of the chapter is just packed with insight and discernment. And Jesus instructing his disciples. But we're going to go on down to where the rubber hits the road. Because Luke, as Pastor Peter mentioned last week, Luke's writing, chronicling of the the passageway in the the life of jesus comes from a, a point of view of, of a legal document he wants to make sure that people understand what really happened and that it could stand up in a court of law and we would have all of the arguments we would need to be persuasive and to ourselves believe so he says some things in the last part of this chapter that you won't find in any of the other gospels because he's looking at it they all have a different viewpoint and of course, you'll notice also he was a physician. So you'll notice more stories of healings in his gospel than the others because God uses our personality. He uses our gifting. He uses our natural bent when, he, when telling his story. So we get to uh, this, this verse and we'll just start here because it was so long. John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. I just picked out a place to start. It's out of out of nowhere. But it just reminds me that we're not gonna be perfect followers. We're not gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get jealous. We're gonna be, he's not in our camp. They're of the other camp. They're not with us, and, and how Jesus handles all these things. But these disciples are so reassuring because they're they get jealous, they get angry, all the things that possibly you might feel. In the course of your lifetime and we can see that Jesus still used them so here's his response Jesus said to him don't forbid him for he who is not against us is on our side we could take a whole sermon on that but we must press on now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem this is a really important verse From this point on, up until this point in Jesus' ministry, his home base had been in Galilee. But now we see a turning. The cross is before him, and now his home base will be, he's going to Jerusalem for the last time. So there is a a resoluteness that comes on him because of what is before him. And of course the disciples have no idea. He tries to tell them some things and then some things, the scripture says, it's purposely hidden from them. So, you know, I don't think I would have even been as astute as they were, but something is changing here. And part of what is changing is is his resolve. Now, of course, he was always the son of God. He always intended to do these things because that's why he was sent to live among us. But now it's here. You know the, the the mortgage payment is due it, it you know the it's time to go to the doctor I mean it's, it's it's the time now disciples still have no clue but he in himself he has to be resolute and when Luke records this verse he is reminiscent he's remembering what the prophet Isaiah said 700 years before Jesus is walking the earth and this is one of the things that I truly love about the Bible. No other book contains prophecies, hundreds and thousands of years that are fulfilled that many years, centuries later. I love the continuity of the Bible. So when it says the time had come for him to be received, it meant Jesus knew it was time for his suffering, for his death, For his burial, for God to resurrect him, and for him to ascend. That's what it means when it said the time had come for him to be received up. So I'm going to refer back to Isaiah. Because it's astounding to me that Isaiah could prophesy so accurately what Jesus is now in this very week when this was written, walking out. It says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He is so trusting in his father that all he's about to walk through will produce what God has promised. And I was telling the early service or the 10 o'clock time that we have that when I was growing up, this was one of the verses that I had memorized as a child because I was fascinated with the the imagery of Flint, of, of Jesus' face being so resolute that it looked like hardened rock. Because when when we were growing up, it was in North Carolina in my formative years. And my mother, because there were six children, my mother would send us all outside. We lived in the country, it was very rural. And she would lovingly lock the door behind us because we'd keep coming in and out all day long for water. And she would make sure we had a hose to drink out of. Yes, yes, you gotta love her, she was wonderful and we would so we would just be left to our own devices you know you, we would roam we would just roam everywhere but our delight was when we found indian arrowheads did have any of you here ever found an indian arrowhead i don't know what they call it now native american something or others let me see your hands Okay, isn't it a delight when you uncover one? You feel like you found a piece of gold because you know it's from another civilization, another culture centuries ago. And I would hold onto that like a treasure. And I don't know what I did with all my Indian airheads. A lot of them were broken pieces. You could only see the spear of it or part of the, uh, part of the Christmas tree shape would be cut off. But it was a treasure. But it, it, it resonates with me because it was, a, it was so hard. It was stone. And so when I think about Jesus was so resolute, so steadfast, that his face was hard like this because he was determined. I, I can hardly understand the depth and the gravity of that, but I love the imagery of it. I love the comparison of it. So let's go back. He sent messengers before his face. That just means he sent team on ahead of them and as they went they entered the village of the Samaritans to prepare for him now Jesus is with a, a large entourage of people you know everywhere he went now people were following him so he out of courtesy sent a team ahead to say look we're coming we're large we're in charge you know we're gonna need food and lodging and you know and it's funny because Jesus knew how they would be received but he did it anyway so we sent this team on ahead to say we're coming out of a courtesy prepare for us but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem now that doesn't really make sense to us today it's like what's the big deal what but back then there was a blood feud that was going on it was between the samaritans and the jewish people now the samaritans were when the jews were in captivity centuries before that you know god had already had always said do not intermarry this is a holy nation i'm keeping this nation for myself this is a nation i am forming by my own hand do not intermarry with other people groups with other other tribes other because they will bring in other religions and i'm a jealous god but the samaritans were the the descendants of the Jews that intermarried over the centuries. And as a consequence of them intermarrying, they introduced new forms of worship. So they have now married Judaism with paganism. They introduced their own things that God said, "I, I can't have any part of that. That's not. And they even had their own mountain where they worshiped instead of Jerusalem. So the Samaritans did not like the Jewish people And the Jewish people would typically go around the east side of the Jordan River to avoid going through Samaria. So that's why I find it so interesting that Jesus just purposely went that way. Because everybody else would go around just to miss this offense that they knew was coming. And when Jesus said... No, I'm, I'm going on to Jerusalem to worship. This was an offense to the Samaritans. That's why they didn't receive him. That's why they said, well, just keep on going. You're not staying here. We're not going to welcome you. We're not going to offer you hospitality. Just keep on going. So that was kind of what that verse is about. But when his disciples, James and John saw this, you got to love them. I mean, come on. Lord, I, I see personalities in this church, and this is exactly what you would say. Mark Matuzak, you know, you'd be going, let's call down fire from it. You know you would. Sir, I love it, though. I love it. I wish I was more like that. But, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Because he, they remembered the Old Testament when Elijah, and man, those people were burnt to cinders. And they wanted to do that here. They wanted to do that. They wanted retribution. They wanted vintage. They were offended that they weren't received. And I got to tell you, we are going to not be received by a whole lot of people. Our, our idea about who God is and what God has asked us to become and where God is leading us is not going to sit right with people. Because there are a whole lot of people that have merged parts of Christianity with parts of paganism. Which that simply means actions of reverence that are not Christian. There's a whole lot of people that blend new age philosophies and, uh, and and all kinds of theories with Christianity and they will be offended when you can't hold with that. when you can't go along with that, you can be you can be their friend, you can love them but you cannot walk in agreement with that and there will be many people that will be offended by you. So the disciples rightly are going they can't do this to us do they know who we are and what does Jesus say once these disciples were getting rebuked right and left it's really quite hilarious if you go through and count how many times Jesus is busted at them and for everyone that thinks Jesus is so meek and mild he just wouldn't hurt a flea he is I love him love him okay you don't know what manner of spirit you are of He's saying, guys, you don't even know. You are now being influenced by Satan. You don't even know it. The spirit that you're moving in that says, just smoke them all. That's not from God. That's not from me. That doesn't come from me. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives. He didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So they went on to another village. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. If I had a dime for every time I've said that to the Lord, and every time I found myself turning around and going the other way, follow you wherever you go, Lord. I'm, I'm right there. I'm your girl. So Jesus is still using this time because he's moving to the cross, but he's still loving his disciples and instructing them and using the next three men that come across their path to show them you got to count the cost. It's going to cost you something to be my disciple. I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, this man represents those who haven't counted the cost. It's so easy when you're in a really good service and Pastor Jared is doing worship. Pastor Grace is singing. singing. And the atmosphere is charged with the spirit of the living God. It's so easy to make a commitment. For Yes, Lord, I'll I'll do whatever. Yes, Lord, I'll... It's so easy to make a commitment out of emotion. And God wants to use our emotions. He wants to sanctify our emotions. But when we go home and Monday morning comes, if that emotion that we have expressed, which was a good thing, isn't grounded and you are not steadfast in your decision to follow Christ? That's what he's talking about here. One of the things I love, Rick and Laura, about our Go Big campaign was that even though we had heartfelt stories and even though we had statistics and facts, you didn't make us sign an agreement right when we were presenting these stories. No, the eldership said, go home. You and your wife, you and your family, pray about the decision. Pray about it. Come into agreement. Take some time. Fast and pray. This cannot be an emotional decision because two years are going to be going and you're going to have the decision that you made. So I appreciate that, that this, this principle of not making rash decisions, but, but really seeking God's face is how we operate here. And this is what Jesus is talking about. You've got to count the cost. It's going to cost you something and just go into this thing knowing that. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but I've got nowhere to lay my head. He was just trying to get them to see. Look, I don't even have some of just the regular earthly comforts that that everybody has. I don't have that. And you need to know that you don't know where God's going to call you to go. And you don't know what God's going to call you to do. But you need to think about it and pray about it and be willing and be open. But just know it's not going to be this feel-good party all the time. I wish it was, but it's not. Then he said to another, follow me. Now, we're going to camp on this one for a few moments before we end. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That sounds quite reasonable, doesn't it? It sounds like a very godly thing to do. This man represents placing family responsibilities ahead of following Jesus. And this is a tricky one. So I will tiptoe very carefully through the tulips and try to help us see what that looks like in real life. Because no one is saying that we neglect our children. No one is saying that we don't, Nurture and educate. No one is saying that we don't have have a strong marriage, but Jesus is saying, I still have to be first. I still have to be first. So, now a couple things about this saying. First of all, in that culture, this would have been a perfectly normal request. It wasn't like he was saying, Well, let me fly to the moon, and when I fly to the moon and come back, then I'll follow you. No, this was something that was a cultural thing that they did. And he could have meant two things here. When he said, first, let me go. We don't know that the man's father had actually died yet. So it could be one of the two interpretations is, number one, his father hadn't yet died and he wanted to wait until his father did die, settle the inheritance, settle the estate and get his inheritance. And of course that would take time. The second thought is that In the Jewish culture, there was a a two-part burial thing going on. The first part is right after the father dies, they take his body and they put it in a cave. Sounds a lot cheaper than what we do today, but that's what they did. They put him in a cave. A year goes by, they go get the bones of their father and take the bones back and bury them with all of the ancestors. So that's two things that he could have meant when he said, well, first let me go and bury my father, okay? None of those would have been bad, except Jesus is saying, what is Jesus saying? Let the dead, and this seems so, doesn't this seem harsh? Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And the reason I want to just take a moment here is because I think this is a stumbling block for many of us. It's so tempting to think, my situation is the exception. My marriage is the exception. You know, we, we, gotta, we don't really work together. And, you know, he's not really as strong a Christian as I am, or I'm really not as strong a Christian. You know, ours is the exception. We don't have to pursue the kingdom of God in that way. Even though God has already said multiple places, love him first, love him best love him strongest, love him hardest, love him without reserve. I mean, there's no question about how God wants to be loved, how God wants to be pursued, and what place God wants in our heart. But it's easy for us to think, my situation is an exception. My marriage is an exception. You don't understand. I, I, I can't, we can't put God first because then what would my husband do? What would my wife and Jesus is saying there aren't any exceptions. I am first if you are my disciple. And it's so hard when you're trying to walk through life with another person. What does that even look like? What is that, um, for from, from Mark and I, uh, every, every couple works out their own rhythm, right? And you just hope it's not dysfunctional until somebody else comes along and goes, what in the world are y'all doing? It seemed normal to us. But somebody else comes in and looks and goes, oh, that's not healthy. Okay, okay well, we'll adjust it but so every couple works out their own rhythm. But with Mark and I, we've kind of, it's last, how long, how, how long have we been married, honey? 44 years? years. Forty, yes. 40 something, 44, 40, okay. well, a long time. Almost a half a, half a century. You're going to have to take me on a trip somewhere when we've been married 50 years. Lord have mercy. Anyway, a long time. Wow. Start savings, what he needs to be doing. Okay, but Mike McCubbin will give you a call later for our savings plan. But we kind of decided what works for us is that we, and, and I have to say, in the first few years of our year, marriage, we didn't do this, but now we do because we're smarter. We, we generally do not make a decision unless we're both in agreement. Now you think, well, the husband's the head of the house, he should, well, that's true. But if it's really a word from God, God will tell me as well. So there's no reason for us not to be in agreement. We have done a few things over the years that we weren't in agreement on and neither one of those two times worked out well. So we just learned. So, but back before I was as smart as I am now, we the church. I just say twenty years ago, might have been twenty five. There was a couple in our church. None of you would know them. Don't be trying to think who I'm talking about. Anyway, the wife um, develops cancer and she's deathly ill. She'd been sick for a little while. They had a small child. It's a terrible situation. Just you know, you feel for the whole family. This went on for a while, and the husband came to the pastor who was Mark and said. Um, my wife wants to go to Mexico for some kind of unapproved treatment um, that, the, that she can't get here. And would you take my wife to get these cancer treatments? I'm—I don't know what I'm thinking. I—I'm I, really embarrassed to tell you what I was thinking because now it sounds saying it out loud sounds so selfish. But I didn't want him to do it. I'm thinking he, you're the husband. You thinking to myself, of course. You're that you taker. it's your wife. I mean, you, and Mark's like, I really think I should. And of course, that just made me get more hot under the collar because I'm thinking, honey, you're gonna have to, some places you're gonna actually have to physically carry her. She was so close to death. And then I would get frustrated with the husband that he didn't even, it's just a whole thing. You, just, you can imagine. So we were not in agreement on this. And he was determined that he should do this. So um, the Lord just had to speak to me, which he, he just has to, he just, I have to. And I would love to say, I would love to hear it from my husband and that settles it. But there are some things I have to hear from God. For myself, I have to hear it from God. And that, hearing it from God gives me the peace that I need, even if I don't like the answer. So the Lord told me one day, after discussion was going forward crystal that's exa- this is exactly what he said to me he is my servant first he's your husband second that that settled if that didn't settle it for me i was now rebelling against him not against him do you, under, you do you see that and so why this why this situation, let the dead go bury. Why this can get all wrapped up is it, when it comes to family dynamics, it's easy to insert our situation and go, but I don't have to follow God because I've got kids. I don't have to be fervent for God because my husband and I, we, we got to work on our marriage. I don't have, there's always a reason why we have to go and bury our dead. But Jesus didn't let him get by with that. He, in effect, was saying, let people that don't know me, let people that don't have a relationship with me, let people that don't know who I am, let them take care of that, and you follow me. So for us, it works if we're both in agreement, and if that doesn't work, then we have to hear from God, and he's always been faithful. That's happened over and over. He will talk to you. He will give you the assurance that you need if you just ask him. And the same way with our children, this is the hardest Lying to walk because we love our children, we want to nurture them and do all these things from us, but they cannot handle the weight of being the center of our universe. They cannot do that. They can't handle the weight of being the center of the world's universe that we as parents tend to make them. The same with your marriage. He cannot sustain the weight of you going to him for everything. He, you need this. It's like the song we sang today. Run to the Father. Fall into grace. I need, my heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. There you go. And I, when I think of all the things that I've had conversations with God about that I never had to bother him with. Because God is the only one that can take it. That level of insecurity or that level of vanity or that level of humor, whatever. He is the only one whose shoulders are broad enough to carry my every care, my every concern, my every butterfly thought that goes, I can run to him every moment of the day. And he'll say, come. He doesn't get tired of me. He doesn't go, oh my God, this woman. He's just like, he loves us running to him. And so when we keep him in his proper place, it keeps all these other relationships in their proper place. No man can handle being God in your life, ladies. And gentlemen, no woman can handle being God in your life. There is one God. And we have to daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, every season of our life, figure out what that looks like putting God first. What does that look like? Because we're not exempt from the first commandment because we have a toddler. We're not exempt from the first commandment because we're on our honeymoon. We are not exempt. We are not an exception. Without exception, Jesus says, follow me. Follow me, you follow. What does it matter what I say to this disciple? What does it matter what I say, you follow me. You get with me and find out what I'm saying to you. You follow me. So that's kind of what that little thing means right there. So I want you to say after me, if I can find it. I was going to have us say something out loud. Okay. My, ex- my circumstance isn't an exception. My circumstance is an exception. One more time. and an Just let that sink in. Because, man, you'll think of three things. But wait a minute. I've got school and class and home and work and my circumstance, isn't it? God already knows your circumstance. And he still says, what does that matter? What I've told them to do, you. You are only responsible for you on that day. You follow me. There's no exemption from that. You follow me. All right, we will continue and finish up. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid farewell to them that are at my house. He's a courteous person. He has manners. But Jesus said, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I mean, he's like taking no prisoners. He is just saying this, look, this is the, I'm going to the cross now. And this, I got to tell you this, this is just the truth. And that example of looking at a plow, I mean, has anybody here had to run a plow in front of you? I mean, not many people in this day and age have, but we do understand if we're looking back while we're trying to plan a straight row, that row is going to get. And even a, maybe a, a more example for today would be driving. You know, you've got this big windshield because you are supposed to be looking forward. And you've got a little rearview mirror that you look back in. But you, you, uh, disciples are looking forward. We are going forward. We're not looking back at our past. Help, God, help us if we're looking at our past. We will get mired in regret. We will get mired in shoulda, coulda, would woulda's. I mean, that's just, a, that's the recipe for discouragement, we look forward. Jesus said, if, you, if, you put your, if you've counted the cost and you put your hand to the plow, don't look Don't look back. Just we keep trusting him. And so Jesus on his way to the cross, his face resolute, steadfast. And that's how we have to be. Say, well, how, and you can go ahead and stand with me, please. Think, well, how, I mean, what does that even look like? How about just being steadfast in prayer? Let's just take a simple example. Resolute, that you're going to take everything to the Father. Resolute, that as, as Roy said, I'm resolute today. That I will not worry. I will not be anxious. I'm going to take every request to God. I'm going to make my request known to my Father. How about being steadfast with something as simple as that? I say simple, but I really mean earth-shattering, world-changing action. Is to be steadfast and resolute. And I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to run to the Father. My husband and I are fighting. I'm going to run to the Father. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. I'm having trouble with my kids. They're not wanting to whatever. I'm going to run to the Father. And he's going to help me. He's going to help me. But to be resolute in just simple things like this. Forget about, well, what if someone comes against me and I'm going to be thrown in jail because I'm a Christian? Well, if that happens, we're going to rally around you. But more than likely, it's going to be what can you be steadfast in the things that God has called you and your family to do? What can you be resolute with the, with the mission that he's given your family? With the mission he's given your marriage? With the mandate that he has assigned to your family? Can you be resolute as he was? He was fe- we don't have to be steadfast when we're going to a birthday party. We don't have to have a resolute face or face that's like Flint if we're going to go have fun. He was resolute because he was facing the cross, the scourging, the mocking, the spitting. That's why, that's why we have to be steadfast. Because of what's coming that we don't know. We have to strengthen ourselves to be steadfast. Amen. So let's pray. Um, Roy, I'm gonna let you pray. And if if you feel like you need you are facing something that you do know about that's that, that chaotic situation that's a that's that something that's coming up and i want you just to raise your hand and as a symbol of facing lord i i need i'm going to strengthen myself this week but i need you i need to hear from you i need you to infuse me with what you had
1: okay. yeah and i just um when she- Every illustration was something that is very easy to justify, and um, I'll, I'll share with something that uh, a pastor had said in a sermon, and I thought it was pretty profound. He said, one day, I wanted to try to roll out of bed and let my knees hit the ground first, because when your feet hit the ground, that's when our kids need breakfast. That's when showers need to happen. That's, that's when your alarm is there. And he said, I just wanted to see what it'd feel like if I started the day and the first thing that hit the ground was the knees. And so that's what I'm gonna pray physically if you wanna try it, but, but spiritually that we're able to do that with these tiny little things that we don't realize. So Father, we just, we want to have eyes to see that even though sometimes we're asking you for something or, or we're saying we'll get to you in a minute, Father, we repent of that, I'll get to you in a minute. And we wanna have hearts that think about rolling out of bed and letting our knees hit the ground first, Father. So it establishes our day. It establishes our reverence and then everything else gets in line. So we pray that we would be a people of reverence. We pray we'd be a people of principle and we would still love on people and advance your kingdom. So we ask you to bless this congregation that are here in person, that are online in other countries. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. God bless
0: you. Have a great week.